I can assure you, I mean you no harm. Who are you? Who? Who is but the form following the function of what? And what I am is a man in a mask. Well, I can see that. Of course you can. I'm not questioning your powers of observation. I'm merely remarking upon the paradox of asking a masked man who he is. Oh, right. But on this most auspicious of nights, permit me then, in lieu of the more commonplace soubriquet, to suggest the character of this dramatis persona. Voila! In view, a humble vaudevillian veteran, cast vicariously as both victim and villain by the vicissitudes of fate. This visage, no mere veneer of vanity, is a vestige of the vox populi, now vacant, vanished. However, this valorous visitation of a bygone vexation stands vivified and has vowed to vanquish these venal and virulent vermin, vanguarding vice and vouchsafing the violently vicious and voracious violation of volition. The only verdict is vengeance, a vendetta, held as a votive, not in vain, for the value and veracity of such shall one day vindicate the vigilant and the virtuous. <laughs> Verily, this vicious soise of verbiage veers most verbose, so let me simply add that it's my very good honor to meet you, and you may call me V. Are you like a crazy person? I'm quite sure they will say so. Ooh, ooh, Andrea, Andrea, Andrea. Hi, Michael. Hey, hey, do you, do you remember? Do you, do you, do you remember the, uh, the, the 8th of November? when oh, this Christ. podcast will actually go up. <laughs> so anyways, if, if for some reason you, uh, people couldn't catch on to where I was getting at, we're talking about V for Vendetta today. I think they figured a, it out. Maybe. Oh, well, I mean, we, maybe. Yeah, I threw them off with the whole 8th of November. They were like, ooh, I don't, what happened on the 8th of November? Well, the only good thing that happened on the 8th of November was that this, this episode was made. Only good thing that's um, happened all week, honestly. Yeah. Don't worry about anything else. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there was nothing good that happened this week at all. Nothing nothing good happened literally today that we're recording. Nothing, nothing great happened. But at least on this Sunday, November the 8th, when this actually goes up, it's a, a fantastic day for everyone because you get to hear our voices once again talking about a book and a movie, this time V for Vendetta, which was written by Alan Moore. And then the movie was made by the Wachowski siblings, which I think at the time they were the Wachowski brothers, but they're now... Uh, actually, they might be the Wachowski sisters now, because I think they're both transitioned. Um, anyways, um, by, the, by the people that made The Matrix. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think you and I both, Andrea, we saw this when we were younger, so... Obviously, we've seen the movie many, yep. many times. Young vigilante uh, lots dreams. Lots of, oh yeah, sort of. <laughs> you know, your your first. It's *Fear for Vendetta* is somewhat some of people's first break into the idea of anarchy. Yeah. And uh, and so it sort of was my first step in learning how horrible some governments are and how things can go. Um, yeah. Well, what do you want to say about *Fear for Vendetta*, Andrea? This time I like the movie better. I've said it. It's official. I'm sorry. That's a that's a bold choice, Andrea. That's a bold, bold choice. Look, look. All right, so it's an excellent read. There's a lot of lovely things hidden in the writing. Like 
it's very cleverly done and I love that's one thing I really love about reading any sort of comic book is how they'll have a conversation happening between two characters but there's also stuff in the background so for example like when we're at the kitty cat lounge yeah yeah like there's a conversation between Evie and Gordon but in the background you've got these dancers doing this kind of lascivious thing on on the stage and you've got the music in the background like the really you know dirty like girls like yeah. guys in uniform stuff like that <laughs> well it's very much like the material the the militaristic like sing songing um sing, singing for our army they're the boys in blue we got to support them no matter what type of singing so exactly yeah so it was a really fun read because either i didn't ever read this or i read it and had amnesia i'm not sure what happened but it felt like a really fun new experience, especially just knowing the movie so well, is going back to the source material. And I really love the very beginning of it. Um, I've actually read this to people before, or made them read it, even if they weren't necessarily going to go through the whole comic. And it's the intro by David Lloyd. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, I actually think I skipped that, so I actually do not know what you're talking about. Basically, David oh, Lloyd yeah. is talking about stopping by in a bar in the 90s, drinking a Guinness, and just kind of, you know, taking in his surroundings and all of these kind of vapid shows are playing in the background. And he's just seeing show after show, you know, Price is Right type stuff, entertaining, get lost in it type of television. And he kind of is watching the barman and his wife and eventually the nine o'clock news comes on and then suddenly it gets switched off and he David Lloyd asks the the barman what what happened why is the news off and the barman says don't ask me that was the wife and he says he finished his drink and he left and there's just this last line that says there aren't many cheeky cheery characters in V for Vendetta either and it's for people who don't switch off the news and it just was really powerful to me. Like, that really kind of gets me hyped every time in falling into this story. Yeah, no, that's a that's well written. And David Lloyd's the... Uh, I, I, he was the artist on, on the book, so pretty... Look, the artist had a better intro, you know? I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. He did the better intro. I mean, that's how it goes sometimes. I mean, his art is great. Um, I loved speaking it. Speaking of which, can we talk... Can we talk about the most beautiful panel in the entire book? Tell me. Good. Can you turn to page 21? Turn to page 21. On my 21 PDF because I lost the book. <laughs> I'm going to try. Fucking hell, Andrea. <laughs> oh, this isn't going to work then. Can you, is there any way you can look at it? <laughs> I'm, I'm scrolling. I don't know. It's not numbered. Right. We're going to figure it out. Uh, What's happening? Set the scene. <laughs> so it's the, it's the page. You will see. It's like. Uh, v is coming onto the train. So you found the panel? Yeah, I found it. Um, yeah, yeah, some thoughts. That's that's not V. Is that V? No. Oh, that's no, no, that's that, that's actually V. <laughs> uh, I I had to reread that page twenty fucking times, <laughs> and it doesn't look like V. But yeah, that's V. Like it's it, it's the most glorious page. The most glorious panel in the entire in the entire graphic novel, 
this beautiful, beautiful, weird-looking shot of V with a fucking pipe in his hand, just it, smiling looks, in this creepy, big... He looks fat. Yeah, he does. And V looks like one of those kids like holding a flashlight under their face to tell a scary story at camp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which I guess is kind of what they were going for because he has the lighter in his hand. Well, in that case, they nailed it. But yeah, they they nailed it. But <laughs> it just he just looks so fucking weird. <laughs> oh, I love that panel. I love that panel. I actually might have to um, take a screenshot of that panel and then get it blown up and cover an entire wall in my apartment with just that face. <laughs> Do it. Um, oh yeah, and another note I had, so I did not expect this going into it, it seemed like with the movie doing it, it must have been something from the source material, but the character V does not alliterate in the graphic novel. Shocker. Yeah, that was a nice little fun character ad. But, like, the, I think the movie found different ways to tie in, because normally in the graphic novel, uh, he's quoting a lot of Shakespeare, and mm -hmm. there's that one panel in the sure. yep. in the graphic novel where it shows his little library shelf, and it's got a lot of Shakespeare's works, but then the movie found different places to throw in Shakespeare quotations, but in the movie it looked like they were kind of using it as an element to find common ground between V and Evie, because he... Mm -hmm. would tend to quote something and she'd be like, I know what that's from, which also kind of struck me as aggravating because it's like, oh, wow, it's so impressive. You you know where it's from. Like, Evie's meant to be stupid or something. <laughs> I don't know. Well, she's supposed to be uncultured because culture has been taken away through the authoritarian regime. So the fact that she has something that she remembers from before the war, because I guess at this age, Evie probably would have been in high school with, with with the movie version would have been in high school when the war happened so i think it well i think it makes i think sense. it's an awkwardness of the translation because in the graphic novel if she's 16 it makes sense she doesn't remember a lot of culture from before things got taken away but right. in the movie because she is an adult working a job like probably seems to be in her mid-20s or so it yeah, yeah i would say she's different. probably 24 yeah also, yeah. shout out to Natalie um, Portman for looking really good with a bald head. I don't know, like. Uh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's uh, that's probably the first time I realized that women can can be really attractive with with being bald, having no hair, and I was like, oh. Well, yeah, just have the bone well, structure of Natalie Portman. And you can do it. If we all could have Natalie Portman's bone structure, <laughs> you know, let's just let's find Natalie Portman. We'll steal her face, and then we'll. Uh, we can we can both have the nice bone structure of Natalie Portman. Oh jeez. Okay. <laughs> you get half of her face, I get the other half. You get one half of her face, I'll get the other half. No, nope. all right. <laughs> it's all right. Um but yeah, so we were talking about David Lloyd. Um Yeah, his art's really good. I like I'm not like I don't know if they meant for this and also it could just be because of the way comic books were made back then, because comic books have more of like a glossy finish now, and then sort of like older comics were kind of on, some of them were on like newspaper type paper. Yeah. And so 
for Vendetta is like at least in my graphic novel is basically feels like newspaper paper, which kind of fits in with the whole propaganda pamphlets. So it's sort of to me, it's sort of me finding a connection between the sort the material itself and sort of the pamphlets that V puts out later yeah. on in the book, and sort of the book itself is a uh, what's the term? I'm blanking out on it. A decree or a uh, uh, what is it when like someone a manifesto. manifesto. There we go. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I'm saying that literally at the same time, but uh, yeah. Uh, so it felt it gives it that sort of manifesto feel that you're given different type of propaganda, like propaganda that's to start a new movement. Because um, yeah. propaganda is everything. I mean, propaganda, what is the French word for news? If I'm wrong, I'm probably wrong. It's some language that basically propaganda means news. But in English, we use it as a, that's uh, something that is manipulating, I guess. Um, yeah, that makes sense. So, uh, yeah. Um, anyways, uh, on V for Vendetta. Um, well, I mean, I'm going to talk about both. I think for one... We've talked about how the movie did cut out some things that I don't think were that inherently important to the story, and I was fine with it. Oh, I'm with you on that. Just a lot of side stories. Um, like, I mean, for example, they, they cut out the whole different types of departments, so different departments represent different, different anatomy of the face, so you have the mouse, the nose, the eyes, the ears... And then they did, so they moved, didn't they, they moved the, uh, the scene when V takes over the newsroom, right? Didn't they? Yeah, they put that much earlier mm -hmm. in the movie. They moved that a lot closer, which actually I think works really well. I think it makes sense, um, at least because the movie, they decide, hey, we're not going to make EV a 16-year-old girl because that's kind of creepy. So... Because in the graphic novel, it's Evie. She's doing prostitution for the first time. She's 16 and apparently has seen the older girls in school do, uh, do prostitution, so she's trying. But I can totally understand why they made her older, someone that actually works at the news station, and I think that works really well. And it's sort of... I think it plays better because it's sort of... It's a V just happens to run into her again. So he was, and whereas kind of in the graphic novel, he's manipulating her the entire time, whereas he just had to save her life and take her away the second time um, because she was going to be seen as an accomplice of his because she helped him out yeah. on camera. Yeah, and it, it gives her more agency in the movie as well, whereas, mm -hmm. you know, this is an adult that decides she is vibing with what V is saying. And she wants to help out also because, you know, her parents were brave people and she wants to be more like them. Instead of, like you said, just being this way too young girl in a bad situation. And then, right. you know, V, like you said, again, you know, manipulating her mm -hmm. further. Like, like, I think V in the movie is kind of a better character. Um, like, he doesn't, he's not as manipulative. And I like that. Uh yeah, there's the the side stories. Like, this is one thing that I hate in writing at times. This is not just Alan Moore. This is just other writers in general. So in the sections with the gangster in the graphic novel, 
they get into writing diction and the diction is very very strong and so sometimes it's hard to read and some of those scenes with a the gangster there's like we talked about earlier there's other things happening in the scene so it's sometimes hard like you, it takes a while to read those panels because of how strong of a diction he does and maybe the way that he writes the diction uh is hard to understand a little bit at least it was for me yeah um, no, you're right yeah, it just it makes it it makes it tough, and it's not necessary. Like if you're gonna do that, I would say, like this is just at least when I write and I try to do a little bit of diction for certain characters for whatever reason. Usually, like if I'm writing a drunk character and trying to give them slurred speech, you just don't do every word. And with the gangster, it was like almost every word felt like it was written with diction, which makes it hard to read the sentence. Part of it, though, it might make it hard to read because we're American, whereas considering this was based in True. England. It's probably more of like a it, cockney. It, it's probably easier for, yeah, it's probably easier for British people, UK people in general, to understand it. That's fair, because like, to me it was coming yeah, off Yeah, I'm thinking they might Italian. not have known how international this might have become. Right. True. Yeah, cause was this this one was was this written before or after Watchmen? I'm not sure. I can remember. I'm, uh, but like speaking of location, though, that was another cool thing. Well, actually, that was one of the few faults I had with the movie. Is it leaned too much into bringing America into things? And I didn't know if that was for the movie audience. Um, but I can tell you why. The comic, yeah. Um, basically, the Wachowski siblings, uh, whatever they were at that time, they're Wachowski sisters now, but. Um, they were trying to make it in reference to the presidency of George W. Bush. So it was sort of where they felt the conservative movement in America was moving underneath George W. Bush. And there's certain th things, that th like those things that you said, like that were Americanized stuff was supposed to sort of allow American viewers to to understand what they were going for i guess yeah and you know it was um it's funny because i think because they did have that angle though it ended up being even more relevant to today um yeah like i don't know watching that now it felt like this is a lot of the events happening and i'm not just trying to get political but i mean we've had covid going on and while that's not some government conspiracy unleashed on its own people um it did, it did feel very much like this is kind of what we're going through and just having a bigger mm, presence of maybe martial law. I don't know. I'm not going to get too into that, but it just, in terms of we've had a lot of protests lately and a lot of that felt very much like what we're going through. So since you're bringing that up and like we're not trying to get into politics, even though it's probably impossible with this book, uh, the, on pay, it's the... It's with Creedy, uh, the the authoritarian figure in charge of all of it, um, in charge of Britain. He's dealing with the aftermath. It's like, what, three days of basically the voice isn't working, which is all of the news station and, and radio as well. And so people aren't getting their daily propaganda. He There's a, from pages 232 to 235, I thought were very relevant in terms of how some how leaders look at people and sort of Creedy is let me pull it up on in my book 
This is the scene where Creedy gets shot. He's like in a car. He, he's looking at a crowd. They're laughing and they're cheering. He's yeah. talking about how they, the crowd hasn't forsaken him yet, blah, blah, blah. And he's talking about how he believes he's really the only person in the world and that this God created the world for him. And no, nothing, no one else matters. And that's the reason why he's basically this authoritarian figure. God gave it to him. And, but for some reason, God's forsaken him lately and making him deal with stuff. And then he ends up getting shot. And I feel like that's very reminiscent of the way political leaders are sometimes that they really don't give a, I mean, uh, that a lot of them probably, but that they don't really give a fuck about any constituents or people. They're just wanting people to support them. They need their support because that's the only way that they can have their power. And that's all that they are to them is just pawns for them to keep their power. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Um, other things that they left out of the movie, there was the whole Conrad stuff, also dealing with the gangster yeah. as well. Conrad, I forget what the lady was that was manipulating Conrad. Really, I didn't find that too necessary. I, I didn't... It's not necessary to V... But it's sort of necessary to what I think Alan Moore wanted to really make a statement about with this book. And where I kind of think the movie falls flat. Not, not, not actually flat, like yeah. sort of it, it hinders audience members. Because it feels like Alan Moore is trying to, it's just like Alan Moore's teaching moment to the mass populace. And that... Just because a regime has fallen doesn't mean that a, another regime might come and take its place and that the people need to take more charge and make sure things go in the direction that they need to go. The movie is sort of, you have the, the you have, it, ugh, I forgot what the name of, is it Birmingham Palace that blows up at the end? I forget which building it is that blows up at the... It's Parliament. There we go. It's Parliament that blows up at the end of the movie. It's sort of like this happy cheering, that's it, blah, 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 we're good. We, 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 we overthrew this regime, and that's it. The book doesn't have that sense of this is it. It's sort of this is the beginning. We're all a part of this. We need to keep this movement going in order to actually get uh, the society and the world that we want to live in. So, And that's what I like about the ending of this book and some of the extra elements, though I kind of agree that they're not all necessary, but it does help add for that. True. I mean, you're right and also a bit wrong. Again, and I think it's just I watched the movie more recently than you, but there's specifically a line where um, Evie asks V why this is so necessary and what's going to happen if you blow up a building and he says a building's just a symbol but if a symbol can give people hope we can start there essentially so i feel like they were setting it up as this is just something to show people they have the onus to control what their government does but it yeah with the movie i guess it's hard to extrapolate on all that so much it's already you know it's a two hour 14 minute movie and right they are a bit more limited in that scope no, definitely, and that's that's the issue with writing medium versus visual media. It's it's sometimes better to just wrap things up cleanly. I don't think the book is wrapped up cleanly, like nice and neat, as much as the movie, at least. And yeah, I mean, the movie had a lot more, ex- had some very extravagant scenes. I mean, the whole scene where 
and I really like this scene. I think this is a scene that the movie it's it's a little bit of addition. It's the whole you know, um, uh, you can't kill an idea scene where you know he's wearing the bu- he's wearing the suit of armor underneath and he gets shot up. Very, yeah. very Matrixy scene. Um, it does. It's a, it's a very powerful scene. The movement is really nice and it just plays really well. Whereas I think, what is it? V just runs into Finch randomly, which also because I wasn't able to watch the movie due to fucking spectrum deciding, Hey, fuck you guys. Internet's not going to work today. Um, did they (laughs) Finch was, they sort of, they changed up the character of Finch, didn't they? A little bit. Yes, they did. I don't know even how to explain it. There's more of like this monologuing over events in the movie. Mm-hmm. As he's like, you know, you're you're on this path with the detective to figure out the connection between everything. And then, of course, you know, I mean, this is like the comic where you have the dominoes, but I feel like they just lay it out more directly in the movie. Right. Um, and like Finch really does become your point of view character into this universe. Mm-hmm. But I, but going back, because I want to say something, I feel like I do love that scene as well. Um, there's a weird thing the movie did where in the book, they're talking about these experiments they're doing where V and the other prisoners are kept, and it's just causing very weird things to happen to their bodies. The movie sort of took in a direction of it kind of made him a bit more supernaturally powerful. Well, yeah. Because they talk about his reflexes getting really great and all of that. So there's like this element of more modern superheroes thrown in. And it kind of is supposed to explain why he gets shot up. I mean, even if you have a chest plate like that, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously you're not, you're not, it's not going to do too much with modern weapons. But like, yeah. I, I, I understand the romantic element they were going for and I appreciate it. But on top of that, like that whole scene where he gets shot in the tunnel with Creedy. The them using that line of you can't kill an idea, I honestly the first thing it makes me think of is they're kind of nodding to the quote by Fred Hampton of you can kill the revolutionary but you can't kill the revolution. Right. I mean Alan Morris I don't know, to me it just mm-hmm. seemed like that's exactly what they were trying to evoke. Oh I'm yeah. I'm with you. And I mean that's sort of Alan Moore's writing. He makes references to a lot of other things, especially in V for Vendetta. He does the same in Watchmen as well. I haven't read League of Extraordinary Get- Gentlemen, so I have no clue about that. But um, everything that but we read... are excited to eventually do Watchmen for sure. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah that's gonna happen. That's gonna be great. I love, especially when we do the. We're gonna do the ultimate edition of Watchmen, which is like what almost four hours long. Um, <laughs> But I'm here for it. Yeah, I'll yeah, watch yeah. Watchmen anytime. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it makes. See, here's the thing with Alan Moore. Alan Moore hates superhero books. He doesn't like yeah. superheroes, and that makes sense why he didn't make V a superhero character, which probably pissed him off when he found out that's what the Wachowskis decided to do with the character. Because that's another thing with like, or since, since we brought up Watchmen, it's really weird how in Watchmen the heroes are supernatural to a degree the only character that really should be supernatural is manhattan maybe ozymandias because he's the smartest man slash i think he's also like the fastest man in the world there might be some supernatural elements to him but 
Alan Moore hates superheroes. I mean, that's the reason why he wrote Watchmen in the first place was because he was trying to get out of having to write comics anymore because <laughs> he hated <laughs> having to write for DC and and whatnot. So, yeah. Uh, do, 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 do. Um, oh. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how to talk about it. I just need to talk about it because it's my favorite part of this whole goddamn story in both the graphic novel and in the movie is Valerie. Oh, yeah. Because I remember, I remember watching this as a young person and like not to say I didn't care about gay people. I, I just didn't know a lot, you know, growing oh, up. I was the same. same. Same, same, same. Grew up in the South. I don't know what to tell you. You know. <laughs> Grew up in conservative um, areas. So I think this was my first exposure to a gay love story. I think even it was mine it's like as well. like a small piece. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's a, it's a, I mean, not small, but you know, it's just, it's a segment of this larger feature, but it was just so powerful to me even then. And like, it's one of those things where it's one of the scenes you want everyone to see and maybe try to understand that, you know, people are people. And we should let them love at their leisure. Um, I don't know. It, Yeah. Yeah, I'm just very touched by that scene. That's all I can really even say about it. It's beautiful. Um, I think... They, yeah. The movie did it well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, I mean, one... It, it, I That's one thing. There's a couple of scenes that are very... They follow pretty directly what the, what the panels are doing and what, what the graphic novel does. Because, I mean, graphic novels are basically storyboarded movies. It's basically people who wanted to make a movie but didn't have the people and the budget to make them, which is what makes graphic novels very impressive for me. I like reading them a lot. But yeah, the whole Valerie sequence is a beautiful, beautiful depiction in both the book and the movie. And it's, the movie pretty much follows it almost directly. I, th- I think the movie added a couple more things to it. I could be wrong. Um, Maybe I just felt like it was shorter in the graphic novel, but it was it. Uh, yeah, I would say, yeah, that probably I think really seeing that at a young age, I had to have maybe late middle school, early high school was when I saw this. I don't know, but probably it definitely was the catalyst to sort of change my mind with uh, gay people. And I, I mean, growing up conservative Christian sort of makes you think that certain types of people are, you know, um, are uh, basically puppets of Satan, blah, 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 shit like that, sinners. And that's sort of like kind of an element to this book and uh, how authoritarianism just classifies certain groups of people as less than others and how in a way also religion does that as well. Um, that's kind of where he went into with the whole, I forget what the pastor's name is, like Prothetho or whatever his name is, but, um, Prothero. Yeah, there we go. And, uh, yeah, the whole Valerie, it's definitely, I think one of the best. Wasn't Prothero the show guy, the TV show guy? Um, oh, you're talking about Stephen Fry's character that they, that they added? Prothero, the TV show guy that they kill. That V kills. 
I thought he was Prothero. Oh, was he Prothero? They talk about his massive stash of pharmace- pharmaceuticals. Okay, I get names mixed up in the in the story. Um, Dude, me too. Me too. Don't worry. But basically, <laughs> basically the priest is what I'm talking about. It's just sort of the mix of religion and how religion and authoritarianism seem to mix very well. Unfortunately, not saying religion's bad, but it does seem that whenever an authoritarian regime takes over, though you could argue Stalin was the opposite. Um, that's uh, one of the few, I guess, um, a few atheists regimes that have have done horrible, horrible atrocities. But typically, it seems authoritarianism runs with religion. But um, another scene that I like a lot that m- the book and the graphic novel do are, are just basically straightforward. This is how it's done. This is how it's going to be. Is the Scene when V meets the uh, the the doctor lady. Um, she's like a botanist now. Oh yeah. That is another one of my favorite scenes. It's just like everything leading up to that when they're when they're reading her journals and she's just it's sort of it's it's so it's like it's that whole thing where sometimes people are in their own little world and the people don't have a full understanding of the world around them. And when people are young, sometimes they make stupid fucking decisions, do horrible things, horrible atrocities. I mean, that's what happened with a lot of like the Hitler youth and, and, and other regimes where they bring in young people to do horrible things. And, and you're, you're brainwashed at a young age to, to do this. And you see people as lesser than, and then like later on, like she, basically become she becomes a botanist basically because she doesn't want to be working on people anymore and she the the whole incident of v breaking out changed her and v even recognizes that so he gives her he, he has to kill her because she's a part of the whole regime and the whole cog in the wheel of everything that's horrible that's happening but he recognizes her her regrets and he sort of forgives her by giving her a nice death. Yeah. And okay, so this scene too struck me because in the graphic novel they actually go into something that as a psych major I read a lot about. They brought it up very often is the Milgram experiment mm-hmm. of when people were shocking well, who they thought were regular people, but it was really just actors and how people were upping the voltage past what was safe. Right, because an authoritarian figure um, told them to do it. Yeah, and that's why, I mean, everyone looked that up if you haven't heard of it, but it's a, you know, one of those kind of paramount psychology experiments. But in a way, it was really cool for Alan Moore to bring that in because he's using this character to show, you know, she's not what you'd think of as a conventionally evil person, but she did fall into, like you said, being young, being excited about being a scientist, not really questioning what experiment she was running. And, you know, I know that after World War II, people were so shocked that Germany could have committed such atrocities and people were really writing off a whole nation, but it's really just, if you're put in that sort of position, a lot of people will kind of bow down to authority and pressure and it's just oh, something we're actually yeah. kind of yeah it has it's ingrained in us from a young age and it has nothing to do with nationality because i mean you can find tales throughout any nation especially any big superpower 
of horrible, horrible things. It's ha- it happened in Germany. It happened in Italy. It happened in Russia. It happened in Japan. Um, China does horrible things. There's things throughout Africa, United States, uh, South Africa. It's just people just unfortunately listen to authority and just do whatever authority says. I think because in a way... Michael just lists off every continent. <laughs> yeah, just lists off every... I mean, the only one that's probably... The, the only one that's probably... The only country that's probably fucking good is New Zealand. And um, and uh, I guess we could probably go with Antarctica. But we, we all know what happened in Antarctica back in the 80s with the thing. So that that was a whole instance. But um, Hey, my New Zealand friends. See? Right. That's why I want to move there. Yeah, Please, yeah. accept me into your beautiful country. New Zealand just seems like <laughs> the most pure place in the world. And I really want to visit sometime. But, um, yeah, just sort of people give authority too much power and they don't think for themselves. Like, people, it's almost like, and I think this is what Alan Moore was getting into, a lot of times we just decide to give up our our rights to a government because we don't want to put in the effort. And we would let rather yeah. have someone else decide for us because now I can just go watch reality TV or something stupid or another thing to distract my mind of the world around me and not really be present in the world and actually try to affect it and gr- help grow and change society in a way. And I think yeah. that's a lot of what this story is about. If you have a character that's trying to wake people up in a way. Uh, so. And I want to go back to something. We touched on Stephen Fry earlier. And I mean, first of all, amazing human. But also, that is one of the changes I really, really love. Because, again, in the book, you have 16-year-old Evie shacking up with this Gordon character. And it immediately gets sexual. And it's weird because she's 16. And she's kind of just shacking up with this middle-aged man um, until he dies. But in the movie, I really love that he was just... I mean, obviously it's sad that he's just... He's a closeted man who is trying to appear straight by hitting on her and inviting her to his place but really he's just hiding this part of him and right that also was you know it didn't belittle evie's character to just have her be hooking up with this older man and just being again in like this kind of sad situation but just as a person with agency learning about someone else's struggles and using that to help cement her principles well, that was really cool. It's great, too, because that's all before the stuff with Valerie and sort of it gives Evie a person who probably her entire life was never around uh, someone that was homosexual or or different from her. And so she has this person in the movie that, that is a homosexual and she, she sees that he's just the same as everyone else. And then it makes the story of Valerie, I think, a little bit more impactful as well. And so she can, so it gives Evie a way of connecting someone that she met in the real world with this story that she's reading, which is not a real story. I mean, it's, it's a character and this, this stuff happened to her, but, you know, um, she's getting this letter in the, in the, penitentiary yeah um so one thing i'm curious to discuss with you too is how you feel about v as a character like i also feel like the movie in the movie v is a better character in terms of less manipulative still weird to 
uh, torture your, I guess. Um, well, he does that in both of them. The term. Right. So I'm saying like either way, V is a very imperfect character, <laughs> but right. Like as this analysis of him overall, I I'm really curious because I you know again being an angsty young person coming across this movie, there's still a lot of things that do resound with me. I. I respect a lot of, I guess, the principles of don't let outside forces change your mind too much or make up your mind for you. I still love, you know, putting that idea out into the world, but um, I think also as a society we're learning, you know, it's not too great to romanticize vigilantes, but, you know, V was my first introduction into kind of vigilante movies, and <laughs> I did love him a lot. I mean, it's Hugo Weaving, what can you, what can you say, like... Oof. Who, that, I mean Hugo that Weaver. voice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what, like, I, and that's where I think the movie has a better element is one, the, the casting of V as, with, as he, what Hugo Weaving. Uh, that voice just brings so much presence to the character. And here's a guy that can act with a fucking mask on. You never see his face the entire time. And it really heightens V as a character just by yeah he has a mask on the whole time but like you still feel the emotions of v that's how good he is Mm -hmm. oh i was going to mention because we we were talking about the stephen fry character which i forget what his name is but um i feel like they had to add that element as well that this homosexual character who is technically working for the state through entertainment because there are mentions of like characters in the in the book that are also you know not tech these quote-unquote normal people that fit in society that are working for the government like you have the fate which is i guess the voice of britain in the movie but um he like collects dolls so he has like this weird uh queer element to him and there's also uh, yeah at the end, at the end of the the book, when um, the lady that was manipulating Conrad, she like runs t- and finds some cop that she knew. I can't remember if he was a cop or what he was, but basically she talks about how basic, uh, how all the police are basically closeted clear queers, um, and uh, and so. It's, Sorry, it, y'all. There goes Violet. <laughs> oh, hey, Violet. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just sort of. I think that's why they added the Stephen Fry element. Um, but sh- oh, which fuck put Stephen Fry in any fucking movie? I'll watch it. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so another thing I really liked about the movie is the graphic novel does show you other things going on in the universe. Again, we side stories like we discussed but i think the movie better touched on how the public reacted to v and how they were kind of galvanized by his ideals and that was just really cool to see average citizens like kind of taking up the mantle you see that in the graphic novel I mean, maybe it's done more so in the movie, but I mean, you have the little girl who's listening to the adults and she's saying bollocks, bollocks. She spray paints bollocks and writes V, which they did in the movie. Then you have, um, you, you have the lady who's, who goes to the gangster to get the gun 
and she gets the gun and then shoots the 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 leader and yeah you there's like rioting happening in the book there's like there's that there's like i think th- a three panel thing where the police are walking are in charge of walking down the street there's some boys standing at outside like some tv store the police go by and in the last panel the boys are gone and the windows are smashed so you you have that element i don't I think sometimes with graphic novels, some elements like that don't come off as strongly because you don't have elements like music and you don't have different, sh- it's, I mean, you have, you can have different shots with a graphic novel, but you can sometimes do things faster in a movie than you ever could in a graphic novel, so. Very true. Yeah. Uh, B, also fucking anonymous taking over that face <laughs> i mean it's so true kind oh. of a weird choice and we have to give a nod to that super sexy domino shot i mean they nailed that. oh yeah you know i like <laughs> yeah i like that in the movie a lot better because they don't show that it's a v until the very end because i'm pretty yeah. sure in the graphic novel they show off that it's a v before he flicks it but yeah that's a that's a brilliant shot god i wish i fucking got to watch the movie and this fucking internet didn't go out and i would, could probably talk more on really cool shots in the in the movie oh speaking of mm-hmm. so again when we have the dr botanist lady yes there's that one scene where oh so that's another thing the graphic novel kind of went more into v was already growing flowers while he was incarcerated and that's why he had access to all these fertilizers and caused the explosion but it's interesting because the way the graphic novel did it like he's losing his mind and he's like packing fertilizer in his room and it's really like distressing how they're showing subtle ways of like how this place is just destroying people and their psyche Mm -hmm. but um they have that scene in the movie after the explosion happens where he's stepping out of the fire and they zoom in on her eyes and in her pupils is just fire and then his figure. Yeah, it's a good shot. Like in her eyes. It's 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 stunning. Yeah. I mean, they have that whole him in front of the fire shot in the movie, but yeah, the the added eye element where it's like from her point of like you're you're seeing it in her own eye is yeah. a great great shot. They they de- the movie definitely takes elements from the graphic novel and heighten them in in very nice ways. So, I mean they're both great. It's just I'm kind of with you. I kind of like the concise storytelling of the movie more. Um, I do like like I th- I mentioned the the element of people need to put in more work because um, I think it comes across more in the graphic novel than it does in the movie, but. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of nice changes that they did for the film. If I can put Stephen Fry on, it make automatically makes a movie good. <laughs> or what they should have done is just yeah. had Stephen Fry play every character: V, Evie, uh, the leader, Finch. Like just just make a V V for V for Fry or F for Fry. Yeah, I'm I'm into it. <laughs> um. Yeah, so I um, mean... That's oh, I did take a picture of um, certain panels as they, like, 
I don't know, either made me laugh or there's, okay, there's one where it's just B's face. Again, I don't know exactly, it's literally zooming in on his face and it says, I recall my exact words. There's a pile of dinosaur eggs over there, youngster, I said, smiling paternally the while. Get sucking. <laughs> like, it's just, sometimes <laughs> the way they write things is just so goddamn hilarious to me. Um... So I've, uh, I'm, but yeah, there's, mm -hmm. this is, sorry. No, go ahead. It's like just very unique language and I respect the hell out of it. Well, there's on page uh, 200 and I think it's 240 where he, he, he mentions that uh, he's like greased lightning, which actually made me chuckle because um, in the script for Pulp Fiction, there is a mention in the, the narrative in the general narrative part of the script, trying to describe things. They talk about how Vincent Vega moves like greased lightning. And I was like, I was in a, the R subreading, R, R subreddit, and everyone was making fun of the fact that Tarantino chose greased lighting to describe how Vincent Vega moves because he probably tr created Vince Vega as an element from watching Grease in terms of like looks. Yeah, no, that, I, that's really cool. Um, sorry, there's fireworks happening here. Um, I, Ooh. I don't know why. I don't know what's happening today. Um, no, no. But there's fireworks outside my place. Well, everyone's so celebrating. You might hear that. Everyone's celebrating that this podcast is going to be up tomorrow. I think so. Yeah, that's all my notes. Yeah, I seriously. I think we're done. Or... It was a good read. Great watch, you know. I'm, yeah, and if, I'm a big if, fan. If for some reason none of y'all, one of y'all haven't seen or read it, you probably shouldn't have listened to us and have actually just gone ahead and watched it. But you know, we'll be the spoilers. I mean, we didn't really go into too detail about different things, but. It's a uh, it's a great watch slash read. But you know, thanks for joining us again. Whoop whoop. You're still here. We don't know why, but doing our best to just talk utter swill. Mhm, mm mhm. Mm so yeah, uh, we'll be moving on to next week. Next week we're gonna do uh, 1984. You know, just keeping this for no theme. reason in particular know, again. This 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 theme we don't even know really what it is, but. We're going to go with 1984 next. So read along, watch the, I think it actually, I think that movie actually came out in 1984. Either it came out in 1984 or 1983. But yeah, that's what we're doing next. And uh, we'll, you'll, uh, we'll uh, see y'all next week then. Yeah, in the meantime, fucking read a book. That's it. Just read a book. You, yeah. And stay safe celebrate for whatever reason you decide to celebrate yeah i don't know what's going on in your lives but clearly some people are celebrating over here yeah i'm about it um yeah, parties <laughs> are fun cool all right um see y'all later good night crazy kids <laughs> you crazy cat you crazy kittens and cats you cool cats and kittens. you cool cats and kittens there we god go. damn it <laughs> whatever uh, it's been it's been a while it's been a while um yeah, cool. All right, bye. <laughs> Defiant to the end, huh? Now you won't cry like him, will you? You're not afraid of death. You're like me. The only thing that you and I have in common, Mr. Creedy, is we're both about to die. How do you imagine that's going to happen? With my hands around your neck. Bollocks. What are you going to do, huh? 
We've swept this place. You've got nothing. Nothing but your bloody knives and your fancy karate gimmicks. We have guns. No, what do you have are bullets? And the hope that when your guns are empty, I'm no longer standing. Because if I am, you'll all be dead.